as entrepreneurs, we face all kinds of challenges. One of the biggest ones is scaling up. And I have an extremely valuable guest for everybody who's been concerned with scaling up. See, once we get kind of past that initial stage, up to about $5 million in revenue, we've actually figured it out. We've got an experience we're delivering. We're attracting clients. But most of us wobble at that point. It's a real challenge. Well, our next guest, Robert Hirsch, has taken six companies from $5 million to $50 million of revenue. He's going to share with us why those skills are so different, how you deal with the change, because there's change. It has to be made to make that happen. And it's not that any road will do. you got to know which one to go down. I'm John Bowen, and we are at AESNation.com. Stay tuned, and you're going to see how to have some unbelievably exponential growth. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com well, Robert, I'll tell you, I'm excited for all my guests, but I'm really actually excited for me. I've only taken one company up to the 50 million. I've done a whole bunch at the 5 million, so I am paying attention. This is a big challenge for all of us as entrepreneurs. But first of all, thank you for joining us here at Accelerating Entrepreneurial Success. John, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I've got you out in Austin here. I'm in Silicon Valley, so we're covering some of the technology hubs of the world. Tell me, you know, as a little kid, you don't wake up and say, you know, I'm going to be one of those guys that just takes companies and have explosive growth. How did this all happen? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. So I, uh, I started my, I guess I was always, I was a paper boy when I was eight and nine. And I used the paper money to buy a lawnmower. And, and I opened my first physical store when I was 16 years old. And it was between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And by the time I graduated high school, I had six little stores. And there were little bead shops in Portland, Oregon. I I always wear a necklace to remember where it came from, and, <laughs> and uh, that was kind of that inflection point, which for a young man is so important, of going from thinking that they can to knowing that they can. And so that was that was awfully exciting for me. And there were certain times that I worked for other companies, and they worked for me. And you know, it was a mutually agreeable situation. But I've I've been an entrepreneur now for for 24 years. Last June. Well, and and so tell me, you know, let's, let's dive right into it because, sure, you know what what happens is you know. In Silicon Valley, there's a term residence, you know, CEO and residence, and you grab them and they're supposed to yeah. be able to do all the things that you're doing and everything like that. And some do, some don't. <laughs> yeah. But you've got a pattern of success. So I want to dive in. Every, all of us are interested in that. And let's, let's start with kind of the five, we said five to 50 million. So let's start with a $5 million business. When do you know a $5 million business is capable of being a $50 million business? Well, there, there's a few things, right? And, and it depends. And, and again, it, if, it, if it's taken 10 years to get to 5 million and you have an 80% market share, right, there might be a, a different issue there. But generally, if it, if it catches wind very fast, for example, in my current company at the Elevation Group, I started off as a chairman of the board. The first week we were in business, we did 3.5 million in sales at a 80% contribution margin. So we knew that we really hit a nerve and a, and a level of resonance. My business partner, a guy named Mike Dillard, was the CEO of it, and he needed um, he needed an external CEO about a year later. We never did less than a million in sales, and 
And that's when I moved down from Aspen to Austin and, and took over. But the big piece is if, if it hits that chord with the people and it creates that emotional connection one to many, scaling is really an option and can be very, very effective. Well, and so when we, so let, let's say I, I use the term nail, you know, nail it, then scale it type thing. And sure. so, you know, the market is resonating, obviously, with you when you, you're getting that million dollar surprise type that, you know, they're coming, the community is being built up, we get up to five million, do it yeah. over a relatively smooth period of time. What's, what are some of the changes? Because, you know, it's it, a lot of the businesses, they get up to that, you know, they're hardworking, they're driving, they're trying all kinds of new things. They get up to that five million. And then, you know, I call it the wobble period. There's an inflection period. Unfortunately, sometimes the inflection's the wrong direction. You know, how, right. how, how do you, when you come in, Robert, how do you turn that around? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Now, my background is, is pretty similar to yours, John. I was a, a venture-backed guy, and I did that for, for four companies for seven rounds for nine years to realize it wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, when you take a, you know, what I always think of as an entrepreneur in residence or an entrepreneur that's taken it up to the wobble period, you know, at that point, they're working as hard as they can. And, and, and if an entrepreneur says, hey, I want to add a zero to my business, you know, it, it's simple. You just work 10 times as hard. And when you say that to an entrepreneur, often their eyes are going to roll. Yeah, my, my, hey, Robert, mine just did because I've heard that one so many times, and there's just so there's only 168 hours in the week. That's it. And that you know, and that's linear growth, and linear growth doesn't work. And so until an entrepreneur realizes that linear growth isn't going to work for them, it's going to be really difficult to scale them. But once they do, the, the the key takeaway is this: the skills that took you from zero to five are not only different than the ones that are going to take you from five to fifty but they're juxtaposed. They're gonna stand in your way. They're gonna prevent you from growing. So for example, some of the skills, stick to perseverance, hard work, you know, that is, is really gonna prevent you from delegating with, you know, without empowering people, right? And, and to be able to delegate with empowerment uh, is very difficult for an entrepreneur. So the, the gap that I'm talking about is a really classic one. It's really moving from first line management to second line management. And to be able to do that and to delegate without absconding responsibility can be very, very difficult. But there are a few things that make it a lot easier. Well, let, let's stop here because I want to get this. Is, this is a big one. You and I have talked about it. We're in mastermind groups together. And, and this is one because I'm a more I actually am more the guy that starts firms. Sure. Okay, so I know when you say perseverance, I know that one. There's nothing when you, you know. Particularly as a you know successful individual, there's all kinds of expectations. Oh, you're going to start a new business, John. Oh, you're going to be hugely successful. So then you know you start working really hard. You get your core team together. You get it going. You pull a you know a few all-nighters. The market doesn't resonate. You tweak it a few more times. You finally find the key. It starts working. You know everybody takes a you know a breath and then uh, goes little. You hit a milestone, million, two, three, four million few drinks, you're at 5 million, you got a nice business, you know, hopefully some good margins. There's that, geez, I got to start professionalizing it. And I got to bring in these other people and you bring it, you start bringing them in and you go, they're not like me. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, I, you know, and, I, and I, this is only because I've screwed this up so many times along the way. Robert, I, I just want to make sure our audience hears this Dilemma, because in the back of their mind, it's so hard to bring people in and delegate, you know, the, the responsibility and not advocate it. You know, not just you got to stay involved, the whole thing. But how, how do we do that? So there's a few things, right? So everyone's familiar with Tom Rath's work around strength-based leadership and 
you know, whether it's Myers Briggs, whether it's Kathy Colby, what you know, you know, I, I know you're familiar with the Colby models. And, well, I'm familiar with all of them. Gallup's and I hired actually one of the key research guys uh, to come in and work with us on building up some of the research we have. So I mean, I'm real big believers on on this. But it's one thing to take the test and get the results, and then, hmm, what do we do with it? As an entrepreneur, what we have a tendency to do is hire people like ourselves. You know, they're smart, they're this, they're that. And in the Colby framework, I'm a very high quick start, as I imagine you are. I am yeah. indeed. <laughs> Sorry? I am as well, too. And it's, you know, the last thing you want in taking a five to 50 is have everybody be quick starters. Which, which by the way, is a classic mistake. So I often say that, that my company was founded by two quick starts, but it's run by high fact finder, high follow throughs. So in that model, in fact, it goes in order, fact finder, follow through, quick start, implementer. You know, my quick start's a nine, but generally the profiles that work really well for me are eight fact finder, six follow through, seven, seven, six, eight, something along those lines. So we, we really start to operationalize it. And as an entrepreneur, it's very tempting to hire people that look like you, that sound like you, that resonate with you. And, and that's actually, uh, that's a great move for starting a business and building that synergy. It's a horrible move for scaling a business. And so for example, my, um, my VP of operations who I met 18 years ago, she was my alumni interviewer for the business school at UCLA. I, I didn't go to Anderson, but I, I hired both my Anderson and my Wharton interviewer. And she's been with me for four <laughs> companies for almost 20 years. And my wife affectionately refers to her as my work wife. And she and I have a really good, we have a really good gig worked out, but we're, we're very, we're very dissimilar and we're very complimentary. And as soon as we hit that spot, you know, I have an executive team that I've worked with for a good portion of time and they come in and we know exactly what we need to do to be able to scale it. You know, for example, the attention to detail of Jamie, who is an 8-8 fact finder follow through, uh, drives me crazy. But that needs to be done. And it really, in order to create the processes that people can follow and to systematize that, you know, I need to be able to not only delegate it to her, but I need to empower her. Because so often, as you mentioned before, people abscond. An entrepreneur says, well, I gave that, I gave that to Jamie. It's not my problem. And that's the absolute worst thing you can do as a leader. In fact, that's where you stand in your way. That's where you've hit five million and you're going to hit that wobble factor. And often what, what takes us to that wobble factor is the way that we think. And so we've gotten really, really specific. And so my model, which kind of aggregates a lot of, you know, a lot of the Myers-Briggs and a lot of the strength finder, and, you know, is called the stupid human trick. And the stupid human trick is, is kind of interesting. It's the one thing that I do better than anybody else. And what I do really well is I know how to lead teams. And I, I don't do anything else in my business. I just do my stupid human trick. I, I can emotionally connect with my audience and I can emotionally connect with my team. Everything else is outside of that. Now, if you take me back as an entrepreneur 15 years ago, I wouldn't do that. I, you know, at this point, it's not what to do, it's what not to do. And what not to do is everything except my stupid human trick. And I do that as much as I can every day, whether it's creating videos for my team, whether it's talking to my team, whether it's creating videos for my customer, whether it's talking to my customer, but everything outside of that skill set I am so regimented to saying no. I mean, my default is no, 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 no. And the only thing I do is that one thing, and that creates the most value that I can. It really allows me to, to have the output very disproportionate to the input, which is kind of the key to scale. Well, and, and let's, let's take a look here. I mean, you know, when we start talking about this, Robert, what, what really jumps out at me is, 
you know, the trade to getting the zero to five, you know, it's experimenting like crazy. It's trying a whole bunch of things, shooting things up against the wall. And the market then eventually tells you, you know what, this is working. And then all of a sudden we start getting it working. And if we continue with that pattern, we tend to burn everybody out because, you know, we don't really grow that much because we're trying new things. We're letting things that were good go. And, and then when we start putting the processes in place, I mean, these are people who, you know, you said it, I, I can tell you, I'm frustrated. I mean, they're asking all these detailed questions and, and it's so, you know, it, it, it details an awful lot, but at the same time, boy, all of a sudden things start becoming effortless. They start being repeatable. They, market responds over and over and we can now expand and we can expand spend money at you know attracting the right people i mean this is, becomes magical but it's, it's so many entrepreneurs fight this so hard and and i know i did at times i mean how do we get past that so you know everybody wants to diversify until they find a winner and once you find a winner then you want to focus <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. and, and, and then it becomes really clear and, and it's really exciting, you know, especially for, for an entrepreneurial profile like you and I, or like many of, of your listeners. When you have that entrepreneurial profile, you, you know, you're tempted to do the spaghetti against the wall. But at that point, you become your own worst enemy. So what I do at that point is I get really, really clear. And what, how I do that is I bring my team and I usually do an offsite for a couple days. And I talk about where we are, where we're going and how we're gonna get there. How do you build a railroad between those two points, between A and B, and what is the straightest path? And once you do that and you have that agreement, you know, and we all pull out our little pocket knives, pick our fingers and sign off on the dotted line, anything outside of that path has to be agreed upon by the management team. And that really, really keeps us focused. And by the way, it's a great intersection for the quick start profiles like us and the fact finder follow throughs like them. So, so they don't drive us crazy and we don't drive them crazy, you know, which is, which we're probably more likely to drive them crazy than they are us. But, but it, it becomes really simple. It becomes getting very clear on where we want to go and very clear on how we're going to measure that and very clear on the key performance indicators of what drives each member of our executive team. My VP of sales owns revenue. My VP of operations owns you know, gross margin. You know, my CEO or myself, I own gross profit. You know, we all have our, our real simple KPI that is reported in a very public fashion to our executive team to create accountability for the work that we're doing. Now, this is so valuable. And, and this, these are hard-learned lessons. And the quicker we can get to that point, the more value there is for everyone. I mean, you know, we talk, jokingly, we're talking about, you know, we're going to go ahead and drive them crazy. Well, you know, real world, they do drive us crazy, but we can ignore them. They can't ignore us. We pile stuff on and we can burn them out very quickly and they're critical. And then the part I really like, Robert, is that, that you know, the ownership part where not only do they take responsibility for something, but there's key metrics that we have, the KPIs, the key performance indicators that are all agreed upon so that they own and we can have confidence in each other that we are driving toward that. And then there's a big promise. And I mean, this is a big one that we're not gonna go off track. You know, if you, you leave the meeting, everybody's doing high fives, we're there, we're ready to go. And you know, the next day somebody does something that's inconsistent with that, that destroys teams. If we're gonna have a high performance team that's gonna really pull together, you know, everything you're saying is just so critical. Well, so what we do is we do a weekly meeting, which I call the three to five. 
And it was funny, my, my new admin kept wanting to put it at the hour of three to five, which isn't it at all. <laughs> it's the three to five priorities. Now, if you, there was a study done by Metcalf out of the University of Texas in 97. And it, it looked at memorization. And memorization of a single number is very good. Memorization of two numbers is very good. And, but then there's a big plateau between three and five. And then at six, it drops off. So you remember as a child, you know, if you and I were running to the payphone, I would remember the first three numbers. You'd remember the last four. You know, five, 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 one, two, one, two. Uh -huh. You know, we get there and I say five, 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 and you look at me and say one, two, one, two. So it turns out that our human brains can remember three to five things really well in about the same amount. And so in our three to five meeting, what we're talking about is our strategic focus for that week. And, and those are our three to five priorities. And we use that to create accountability to hold everybody to that focus. So before we go into the three to five, we present not only your KPI, but the entire executive team's KPI, which creates accountability, including mine. We then go over the three to five you know, priorities that we're each working on of the strategic initiatives that we are focused on between here and next week. You know, we need to get, you know, four interviews and we need to cover blank. We need to do X and we need to do Y. And, and, and so then it gets really simple. I get a little post-it note, you know, with my three to five mm -hmm. and I have it on my desk. And, and if, I, if I'm ever confused, I, I take the three to five things that I need to do, you know, that week. I circle the most important one and I start with that. And this is actually a real key to productivity, which is a question that you didn't ask. But if, if you look at your three to five priorities, I circle the most important one, and the litmus test that I use for that is, if I did nothing else today, how would I meet my commitments to my team and to my customers? I circle the most important one, and I start with that at 9 a.m. when I have the most energy. And that's just in case it's 12.30 or 1, and business happens. You know how it is. The, you know, I, I get to the office real early because I know the door is going to open. And the door can open for friends or for foes or for anything in between. And, and or it could be just as likely that you have some entrepreneurial friend that's in town that says, you know, John, I'm, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley. I'd love to meet you for lunch. And we haven't seen each other in ages. And you run up and you do sushi. But if you started off with the one thing that you start that was most important, you'd know that you move the ball forward for your team. So that really simple framework of what are the three to five strategic priorities, I agree to that with the team every Monday. I circle it. I start with the most important daily. And we have the accountability for our KPIs which is a really simple or high level 30,000 foot view of the framework that we use to get from, from A to B. But there's something that we haven't talked about. And that, that's really, so we talked about where we are, we talked about where we're going, and we talked about building the railroad. But sometimes when you build that railroad, it, it can be really painful, not just for you, but specifically for your executive team, right? Oh, critical. And, 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 and you're going to create a lot of pain. And so my frame on that, and so a lot of people say, oh, it's not bad. And, and for nine quick starts, you know, or for high quick starts like us, you know, change is great. <laughs> you know, we're going to do it. Well, 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 particularly when we are the ones putting it in place, too. It's really good. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, clearly, right? It comes from a smart guy or gal. And, and, but for my fact finder follow throughs, it drives them crazy. And they go, oh, no, here goes Robert again. And so, I, you know, I use a pretty disarming frame on that. And, uh, I, you know, I have it on the wall next to me, and, it, it, and it, it defines change, right? So the first quarter, you know, the first thing we focus on, I call hope, something to be full of, right? That's where we're going, where we are, where we're going. Now, from getting there, I, I want to make the frame really honest. So I, the way I look at that is change, and it sucks now, and it's different later. And I'll repeat that, you know, sucks now, different later. 
And, uh, but you know, and so when, when they look at me and like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, what's it doing? I'm like, it sucks. I'm like, what's going to happen later? Different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's going to be better here. We're going to work through this and we put all this in place and look out. But if you tell them the sky is not blue or that it's not going to be painful to change, you know, at that point, you lose the buy-in of the leadership team. And that's kind of a critical piece. So when we talk about the change that we need to do and the growth that we need to do as an executive team, you know, this is really a, a big, big opportunity. You know, something that, that we also do, we do a, a meeting every week. And this is kind of, we do it on Fridays and we call it FAC or our Friday afternoon club. And at 4.30, we get together and we do two 10 minutes. So our first 10 minute meeting is me talking to, about the vision of the company to the entire team, not just the executive team, but to the entire staff about where we're going and the progress we made this week. And I and guess what I use as my agenda? The three to five from Monday, right? And the progress that we're going. So that creates accountability to the team that the executive team is managing. So for example, when I talk about Jamie, my, my COO's responsibilities, the operational team understands exactly what they were working on this week and how that added up to what we're gonna be doing on Monday. So we do the 10 minute vision and that really gets buy-in from the team and creates ground level support for my executives, which as a CEO, the most important thing I can do is to empower them and get out of their way. And the best way I know to empower them is to get the buy-in of their people. Because many of them are great managers, not all of them are great leaders. Once I give that leadership vision to their team, they buy in and they know exactly why they're working so hard for their, for their manager. And so that's a big one. Then we do 10 minutes, which is an all hands brainstorming session. And that's where anybody, you know, it's amazing. You know, for example, customer service, which, you know, is, is, is a primary interface to your customer. They know so much more. It is such an untapped gold mine mm -hmm. of information for scaling. You know, our best ideas always come from the people that are actually talking to the customers, not the people that are sitting in the big corner office in the ivory tower. And so we have an all hands brainstorming session. And then we do something kind of interesting. And, and uh, so what we do is then we have hors d'oeuvres and beer and wine. No booze. We tried that, but it doesn't, it leads to bad things. Yeah. And so we, we too many entrepreneur, entrepreneurial genes. So yeah. we, we then, you know, have beer and wine. And what we do is we invite any candidate, including multiple candidates for the same position to the office for the Friday afternoon club. That's where they come in. So they come in and we have sometimes three candidates for the same position. And you can just watch in, in body language, who's comfortable, who's not, who's a cultural fit, who isn't. And there's so many people in HR that talk about the cost of a bad hire. You know, some people say it's, 10 times the annual salary, I have no idea how they get to that number. You know, for me, I can see how you get to two times the annual salary really easily. Mm -hmm. So the cost of doing the Friday afternoon club is really beer, wine, and hors d'oeuvres for the team for 52 weeks, right? Call that five grand, $10,000 worth of food and booze. Now, if I save one hire, one bad hire a year, the thing pays for itself with 10x return. There is no way I would, I would not do that any week at my company. So we have a really, really simple framework, right? We have the three to five with the executive team. We have, we have full disclosure on all the key performance indicators. We go over and then on the Friday afternoon club, the first 10 minutes is going over our, my priorities. My priorities are my team's priorities. Then we go over each of the team's priorities and their KPIs. We get buy-in, that's kind of the vision conversation where I, I help motivate my executive team, uh, executive team's people and then we do Friday Afternoon Club. And Friday Afternoon Club 
it's interesting. You know, you should see the people that grab me on the shirt sleeve and invite me, you know, for a little conversation. Hey, did you know that of the people, you know, that we said X, Y, and Z, 60% have said yes. No, I didn't. Right? And let's institutionalize that knowledge. And so we, we have a real informal side. And by the way, at, at Friday Afternoon Club, we do just the team for the first half an hour. Last half an hour, spouses, kids, you know, we invite, you know, it's a family affair. And then we get ready for our three to five next week. And that's really how we pre-brief it. So that's, that's how we start the week and that's how we end the week. And uh, that's really the most important part for us in really, in really managing through. You can't manage down for growth. Mm-hmm. You need to manage up. And a lot of people talk about servant leadership, but how do you walk that talk? And what it is, it's helping my managers lead and it, it's helping my employees perform at their highest level. And the best way I know how to do that is to encourage them to share the vision, to listen to them, to make sure they feel heard. And and, and there is one other piece. We take all the information that we, we buy. I mean, I, I spend, well, as do you, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in learning products. I mean, the best way I know to make risk not equal reward or to increase reward and lower risk is really simple. It's through education. And I love education. And what we do is we institutionalize that education through the team. So everything we get is available to every member of our team all the time. And what we do monthly is we do a book or a course together. And, you know, for example, we, the, the one we just did was an old favorite of mine by Vern Harnish, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And I've done Vern through EO for a, for um, a bunch of years. I had Vern speak yesterday at our conference and he did a phenomenal job of closing it up. Yeah, he's great. I, I mean, he, he's just, he's a great human. You know, and, and actually the three to five was derivative work of his tacticals. And so we just did Mastering the Rockefeller Habits and everyone said, oh, that's why we do it that way. Oh, I get it. Hey, have we ever thought, and then they start adding, right? And they take emotional ownership. So, you know, how do you get your team, you know, to be, you know, we have multiple members of our team that have our logo tattooed on <laughs> Okay, I was with you up to that point. I haven't had anybody do that to my knowledge. At least they haven't shared with me. But Robert, let me go, let me touch on, because these are, you know, the, the big thing here that I want all of us as entrepreneurs to be thinking about, because, you know, really, Robert is a, an extreme quick starter. And, but what he's done in his quick starting is he's created framing. Okay, and we can, you can disagree whether it's two and four versus three and five. I mean, there's a little fine tuning things we could all argue about and so on. But what's so valuable, and this is where you should listen to this recording, a few times, you know, go back to aesnation.com and get the transcript and make sure you have the system. Every company that I've ever had, Robert, that, you know, we really took off, we did what you're doing. I mean, we, I have little different nuances and so on, but we had this, the, the identical thing for all practical purposes, because what we did is we, we got everybody on the bus, you know, whoever's guruism we're going to use, we got everybody on the bus, the bus is pointing in the right direction, and we kept on checking in with each other, and we kept on having each other be responsible for different parts, and that's where it really comes together. Let me switch gears for a second, because I want to follow through on my promises on these recordings, although this is so phenomenal, I'm tempted to keep going. But I want to I hit you up for some other things here. So let's go to, 
you know, one of the, I promise the entrepreneurs, I'm going to share with, you know, all these creative uh, individuals I get the privilege of interviewing, like yourself, and hanging out at mastermind groups. Because really what this is, Robert, is it's a virtual mastermind. You know, you and I are sharing some of the insights sitting next to the last time at Joe Polish's 25K meeting, where we were kind of kicking around some ideas and, you know, trying to make things happen for each other. And this is, this is the value of masterminds for all of us. And, but I, I want to go to a simple one to execute. Let me go to this segment. Okay, one of the promises I have, Robert, is the application of the day. What's a smartphone application that you use to help you do all this stuff? All right, so I'm, I'm going to give you a qualifier on this one because we talked about this a little bit this morning. Now, if you're a high quick start, if you're a fact finder, follow through. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Just just pause, pause the recording for just a second <laughs> yeah. or turn or, down the or hit, or hit the speed button, go by real quick here. Hit the speed button, <laughs> go by. But if you're an entrepreneur and if you have a high level of quick start and, and you really want, you know, for example, when I read Getting Things Done by David Allen, which has been over 20 years ago, that was such a liberating book because it allowed me to free brain space. And so whenever I think of something, I need a place to dump it. So it doesn't just come up as this nagging thing in my head of, oh, I need to do this. Oh, and I can't forget this. Oh, and I can't. And that, right, that is that is the plight of the quick start. And so there is a great program, which I, I, I will rarely recommend a 30 or $40 iPhone app. It's called OmniFocus, O-M-N-I. Yeah, I've just put it up on the screen, and you can Google OmniFocus. Oh, it, it integrates between my iPad, my iPhone, my desktop computer, my cloud, and so, for example, I have everything in there that I am thinking about for my business or for my investments or for my house or for the, you know, I, I have I have 52 different date night ideas that I'm working on for my wife for for date night. I have so anything that comes to my mind, I just brain dump it there and I know it's going to be OK. And once I know it's there, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to remember it. And it frees up that brain space to allow me to be here now or to be very present wherever I am. So OmniFocus is a life changer for me. Yeah, I, and I, I do use, I use Evernote. I'll have to look at yours. But I mean, the having any place as an entrepreneur to dump this stuff out so it's not in your mind coming out at two in the morning type thing is so invaluable. Absolutely. Well, keeping the post-it notes by the bed is always a good idea. Too. Yeah, yes. It's not a very sexy app. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it doesn't quite work. And uh, you might have to come up with 100 date night ideas if you do that here. But let's go to the next segment. What's the book? I mean, you know, you are a well-read guy. You're very knowledgeable. You love this stuff. You and I are both passionate. I mean, you see all the books behind me. I, and I got most of them electronically anymore. I won't buy any hard-covered ones. Not because I don't like reading the hardcover. It's just there's too many of them all throughout the house. What's the one you would recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple and it can be a bit polarizing, but it, it was the book that changed my life. And, you know, my mission is really simple. It's achieving freedom through contribution. And uh, Ben Franklin defined a self-made man or woman as anyone that doesn't like their station in life and through virtue, integrity, and hard work uh, changes that. And uh, that, for me, really defined it. And so the book would have to be Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Yeah, let me, I'm pulling it up on Kindle, and you can buy it for eight bucks. And it's a, I'm going to go with you. It's a, I've got it's a, a, it's an amazing book. I mean, it's exceptional. It it changes your life, and there's so many things that you can take out of it. 
But what is it to be a proud producer or a proud contributor? I, I, Hank Reardon, one of the protagonists in the book, you know, he perfected his recipe for steel for 10 years before he introduced it to the marketplace. And I remember reading that, and I remember thinking of the pride in craft. And I knew that if I was going to introduce something to the marketplace, it would have to be extraordinary. It would have to be the best I could do. And if it wasn't, it wasn't worth doing. And so that book changed my philosophy in so many ways. Uh, and mine as well. And I just, I remember reading it just really early when it came out. And I've, I've got it, you know, it's one of the few books that I have behind me that I go back and look at every once in a while. And it just kind of reminds me of what what we're doing and the impact that we're having and how important it is. And this is one of the things as fellow entrepreneurs, oftentimes we're not really understood. This is a book that helps you understand what you're doing. Okay, let me go to my favorite segment here, Robert. What a good segue. Well, it is, because we're looking for the number one entrepreneur insight of the day from you. Because you've been sharing so many good things. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like definitely to go through this a couple of times. Sure, so number one insight of the day. So when I'm thinking about scale, the one thing that I think a lot of people miss is, is they think that they can do it. And this is the area where you're transitioning from, from you can do it to we can do it. And so when I look at a, an, an org chart or an organizational chart, John, you and I came from a very similar background in Silicon Valley, right? And you know, you have your CEO and then you have your, your VP of everything and your director of blank and then your M level and then your high level contributors. Mm -hmm. And an org chart looks like a big period, a big pyramid down. So what I do when I draw an org chart is I, I draw the CEO at the bottom. That's me. And I'm responsible for holding up the organization, kind of like Atlas with the organization on my shoulders. You know, and, and, uh, and the top of it is customer service and sales, the people that talk to our customers. That's the top of the internal org chart. And on top of that, we actually have our customers. But in our world, you know, without a customer, there is no company. And we have the customer, we have the people that are supporting the customer, we have the people supporting them, and then at the bottom, there's me. And a lot of people give lip service to servant leadership. And for me, what I love to do is I love to grow leaders. I love to empower them. I love to, you know, to create, to help people achieve things that they thought were greater than they ever assumed. And so we start at the top or the bottom, depending on how you look at it. But the customer is number one. Anybody that talks to a customer is number two. Anybody that manages them is number three. And then there's my executive team and myself at the very bottom. And uh, that's the way we run our, our organization. But you know, if, if there is no customer, there is no company. You know, people talk about, you know, it, it was very trite in, in, mm -hmm. in, in bestsellers and who's ever had an original thought, you know, of customer centric and, and that being new, which, which totally misses the point. The customer is the only thing. And if you can exceed their needs and, and deliver something of value, you'll create a position of value for yourself. But the more you can give to them, the more value you can create for yourself. And I guess this is the, the, the key point of it. If you do business the right way, the amount of money that you make is directly proportional to the amount of people that you help. No, and so then, the frame for me as a CEO is how can I help more people? Yeah, and, and make a bigger impact. And you know, for every person that we have the privilege of touching. And this is you know, why I, you and I love markets. They, they tell you whether you're adding value or not very, very quickly. And the score is very easy to tell. 
Well, let, let's go. Uh, we're coming near the end, and I just want to make sure the next segment they're going to care about. Resources. Let me pull up your website. I'm going to the elevationgroup.com for those of you who are listening to us on the audio podcast. And you can see the screen on the uh, video podcast. And then obviously you can always come to our website at aesnation.com and get all the links that Robert and I talked about. But Robert, what are they going to find? What are some of the resources here on this beautiful, I love sailing, it's a beautiful picture there, and teaching the world how to invest like the rich is something that most of us kind of like. You know, I, I know I do. And, you know, there's two, there's two real things that we teach at the Elevation Group. We have the Elevation Group, which is targeted really towards entrepreneurs. So if you're listening to this and you identify as an entrepreneur, you know, what you know how to do is how to make money, right? And they, you know, the whole 2,000 hours principle, meaning we work 2,000 hours a year, and as entrepreneurs, we're probably 2,500 to 3,000. And, you know, for me, I've done this for 24 years. That's more than 50,000 hours that I've spent figuring out how to do my craft, which is entrepreneurship. And John, you're probably in the same category. But when I think about how does my money work for me, well, I, I put significantly less effort into that. My solution to many things was just make more money. But what I've really done for the last four years, and, and, and my business partner and I have gone out, we've interviewed the smartest people in the world in finance, everything from, from Richard Branson down in, in Necker Island to you know, the Tom Wheelwrights or the Ken McElroy's. And we said, okay, how do we transfer the money that we make and how do we turn that into passive income? How do we have that make money for us? And what we did was, you know, and, and we are not financial advisors and we're not licensed in anything. We went out and we talked to the smartest people that we could and we documented it and we, and we sold that for, for 50 bucks a month or $300 a year. And in fact, just in, in, in those memberships, I mean, we did three and a half million dollars of memberships in our first week in business alone and, and never did less than a million dollars a month. So it really hit this nerve. So, so that was the part of Elevation Group, which is how does my money work for me? And then there's Elevation Income, which is our entrepreneurial courses. And uh, that is 460 written pages in 10 hours. I was a few years ago, and you know this, but I don't share this often. I was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And at the time, um, my wife was, was pregnant. And so this is before I went, after I got diagnosed with leukemia and before I went into chemotherapy, I recorded these videos and this course. And that was really the frame as, as a gift to my child. Um, just in case. And uh, it's everything I wish I knew about entrepreneurship getting into it. You know, entrepreneurs, that's our target market. Those are our people. Most people don't get us and that's okay. But we're really focused on, on one, how do, you, how do you have greater results in your business? And secondly, how, when you make that money, how does that money work for you? Because again, my mission is freedom and freedom through contribution. And uh, the more entrepreneurs we set free, the greater impact we have. And it's my, it's my firm belief that entrepreneurial energy is the greatest untapped resource on the planet and it'll get us out of the mess that we're in. You know, there was a, another book by Ayn Rand, who's the Fountainhead, and there was a character in the Fountainhead named Virgil. And Virgil asked this question that changed my life. And, and Virgil asked the question of who helps the helpers. And when I read that, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And the answer is I do. And you do. That's what you're doing here, John. Well, and that's what all of us do here, that uh, fellow entrepreneurs. And I mean, this has been so valuable, Robert. And, you know, let, let me go to the last section so I can summarize. Let me share with everybody my key takeaways. I mean, the very first thing is there's a difference between going from five to 50 million. And that's number one. And we need to know that. And we need to make sure we understand 
that there's a difference here because so many of us have worked really hard, built a business that's pretty successful. You know, our friends think we're all, yeah, we're doing phenomenal. We're not doing all that we're capable of doing. And more importantly, we're not delivering the value to the rest of the marketplace that we could. We gotta recognize there's a difference. Second is process, 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 process. Creating the systems, you know, nail it, then scale it. Make sure if you're a quick starter, as Robert and I were talking about, that you bring in the right people. Third, let everyone around you know that it's gonna be painful to change. And it's a different dynamic than the dynamic that brought you to five million. But there is, you know, it's, it's an amazing business moving from five to 50 million and seeing it all come together. And the last one I wanna do is a commitment both, Robert, you and I, I have made big investments. I know we spend over 100,000 a year each and every year is lifelong learning. This is just huge. And, you know, with that, Robert, I want to thank you again. I mean, this has been a privilege to have you here. Uh, yeah, I count you as a good friend and having you share this in our virtual mastermind is invaluable. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here, John. Thank you again. And, and uh, what you're doing is doing great things for the entrepreneurial community. I'm happy to support anytime. Well, and let's go out there. All our fellow entrepreneurs, our like-minded entrepreneurs that are ready to lift you know, the, the Atlas, no problem lifting this stuff and making a big dent in the universe. Remember, your clients, your customers, your current ones, your future ones, they're all counting on you. Don't let them down. Wish you the best of success. All the best. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com